You're listening to the Body Activism Podcast. I'm Serena Nankia, body activist, advocate for eating disorder recovery, and all-around badass trying to make a change in this world. I know that conversations about bodies can be a lot. The wellness industry and diet culture make it almost impossible to decipher what is real and what isn't. On this podcast, I'll harness all the noise and dialogue about the issues that matter. With the help of my guests, I'll debunk commonly held myths, challenge stereotypes, and educate about the realities of what it is to live in a body in the 2020s. I'm talking to all people, all ages, all sizes, all identities, all cards on the table. But remember, listening to this podcast is the easy work and only a foundation for change. It's what you do from now that will make a difference. So with that, get settled. Let's go make a change. Hello, good morning. Hi, good morning. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. Everybody, this is Ivy Felicia. She is a certified holistic wellness coach. And I am super excited to be chatting with Ivy because I follow her and her company on social media. And I always find a lot of really good content about things that I never even knew about or that I want to learn more about. Um, Ivy might not remember this, but I was at the NIDA Regional Conference in Philly back a few years ago and saw you speak oh, and wow. at the panel. Yeah. And so that's how I found out who you were. And um, you had, we were talking about kind of thin privilege and, and white privilege within the space of body image. And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I had really thought about it at all. Um, so you opened my eyes to just kind of discovering more about the intricacies of all of this work. Um, so I wanted to thank you for that and then um, allow you to introduce yourself as much as you'd like. And then we'll get into some questions. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me here. Um I always appreciate it when people invite me into their space and it's something that I don't take for granted. Um, So I am Ivy Felicia, the body relationship coach, um, and I am a certified holistic wellness coach and uh, body image expert. But basically what I do is I help people who feel frustration, shame, anger, Um, any sort of negative emotions around their body, I help them um, reconnect with their body through weight-neutral, holistic wellness, and radical self-care. And the reason that I say weight-neutral is that um, when I am working with people to help them use holistic wellness to connect with their bodies, we don't Um, talk about weight loss. We don't focus on weight loss. Um, We are really focusing on just learning to um, connect with the body uh, or reconnect with the body or to um, uh, heal the body relationship. So 
That's what I mean by that. And as far as um, radical self-care, it's just teaching people how to use self-care practices and rituals as another way to fortify their relationship with their body. Thank you so much. I um, It's so clear how, how much thought and um, effort you've put into kind of what you're doing. And, and I love that as since you're a thought leader and I'm, I'm aspiring to be a thought leader. I, um, I love watching you work and, and learning from you, not only about everything that you're teaching, but how you are teaching it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for honoring my work. Absolutely. It Mm -hmm. is my pleasure. So um, we'll get into some questions and I know you had a chance to look at them. One of the first questions that I like to ask is about personal body image because we all have a story and our stories impact how we speak and how we work with others and and what we end up doing with our life. So I'd love to hear more about how your personal body image, as much as you feel comfortable, has um, evolved over the course of your lifetime so far and how that's impacted your outreach to other people. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I often share the fact that um, I have lived in a body of size, larger body, um, for all, all of my life, or for at least as long as I can remember. Um, my earliest memories are in like preschool and being on the playground. Um, and I feel like that's when I really noticed that my body was different from other people because, you know, dealing with teasing and bullying from other children and them pointing out my body, um, it sort of became this realization that, oh, I'm different (laughs) or my body is different Um, because I was okay with my body and it it wasn't really brought up in my home at that time. So school was really the first place that I began to be othered, right, or marginalized. And so um, I've been on that journey of living in in a fat body um, for for my whole life, basically. So I really didn't start to um, struggle with the nuances of living in a fat body until around my adolescence um, and early teens. And really the teasing um, just became a lot, almost too much for me at that time. It was just causing a lot of mental, mental and emotional turmoil. And I remember sharing it with my mother and her solution for me at the time was to, you know, to try to lose weight. And um, I know a lot of people who hear that might think, oh, my gosh, why would? Because, you know, the knowledge is there now that you shouldn't put kids on diets. Right. But we're talking about the 70s and 80s when a lot of parents just didn't know that. Right. And I feel like well, I know for a fact that her goal was just to help me alleviate um, the pain that I was going through, right, with being teased. So it was like, oh, well, let's try to help you um, lose some weight. So I started um, dieting um, as a teen, um, going to, I went to Weight Watchers very, very early. And I did a lot of other, 
all kinds of diets, slim fast, cabbage diet, all, all kinds of diets through, throughout my teens and early 20s. Um, and then I was diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And um, that had a big impact on my relationship with my body as well, um, because you know, being diagnosed with a chronic illness as a teen um, is a lot because you're already going through the changes, you know, that teens normally go through at that time. <laughs> but to um, to be diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, that is um, a disorder that impacts the ovaries. So, at this time, doctors are telling me, oh, you, you know, you might not be able to have children and things like that. So I'm a teen and I'm just thinking it was, it was just overwhelming. It was a lot. And it was like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? And because of PCOS, I was um, gaining more weight faster because that is one of the symptoms um, that some people experience with PCOS. So it was just a lot um, in my teens and 20s, a lot of um, adversity that I dealt with with my body. And I share that because it really was the foundation for the body hate and um, the disconnection that I had with my body um, for the majority of my um, early adult years. Yeah, I can't imagine how impactful that must have been I actually just spoke with I don't know if you know Laura Burns um, but she is another activist in this space and she also has PCOS so mm. we were talking a little bit about that and how impactful chronic illness can be um, and I'm curious how you got to the place where you are now like how did you go from feeling that way to developing confidence and helping others get there yeah it seems um really far away right it's, it's such a difference right yeah Between, yeah um you know feeling this pressure feeling anger shame sadness um you know judgment all of these things disappointment towards my body for the majority of my early adult years and going from that to where I am now, that's a, a major journey. And it's also part of why I talk about my lived experience all the time, because having that lived experience, this isn't just something that's a textbook um, knowledge for me. This is something that I've lived through and I've walked through. So um, holistic wellness actually was what... Um, changed my path. Um, I sort of arrived at the body positive movement and holistic wellness simultaneously. So the body positive movement was sort of coming out around 2008, something around that time. Um, and, or, or sort of taking up, um, becoming more popular on social media mm -hmm. around that time. Um, and that I started to really connect with the message of the body positive community. Um, and then around 2011 
is when I discovered I went to a doctor to get help. I had been to several doctors, several doctors to get help with my PCOS. And I went to an integrative, um, a doctor who practiced integrative medicine. And she introduced me to the concept of holistic wellness. And um, I often share that it was the first time that I was treated as a whole person rather than my body being treated as a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had never I had not had that perspective before that my body wasn't a problem and that it was a part of a much bigger picture, which was my mental, emotional, physical and spiritual well-being. And so it just sparked this flame for me because um, to have a new approach to wellness, to have a new approach to my body, uh, I just became really curious. And so I went to school um, to be trained as a coach um, in integrative uh, nutrition. And that sort of just started my path of working with people. Um, so as I learned about my own body and just how to use um, integrative nutrition and holistic wellness for my own life, I also was simultaneously embracing um, body acceptance. That's a really beautiful story. And, and I'm so glad that you found someone to almost validate and and assist you and help you along the way because mm -hmm. I think you know those resources sometimes are few and far between yeah um, especially for people living in larger bodies mm -hmm. um, and I know that another part of your identity that has impacted your life is being a black woman yeah. um, so I'd love for you to expand on how that has been related to your body image um, as far as feeling comfortable or even safe in your body, um, specifically in the United States? Yes. So, um, you know, being a Black person, first of all, is already um, part of, you know, a complex um, experience in the United States. And then also being um, a Black woman, uh, which means that I, you know, I sit at the intersection of being um, a woman, being black, being fat, living with chronic illness. So all of these different things are a part of my identity. Um, and they they all um, shape um, how people see me, especially in America. Um, and it shapes how I'm treated because of my body. Um, and, and it had a major effect on how I saw myself for so many years, right? Um, a lot of people say, oh, well, how other what other people think of you doesn't matter. And I don't know how valid I believe that to be yeah. because how other people think of you shapes how they treat you and then how they treat you mm -hmm. shapes how you feel about yourself. That's so smart. Yeah. So definitely um, living as a Black woman um, in the United States um, and dealing, you know, navigating racism, sexism, fat phobia, um, healthism, all at the same time have all impacted, you know, my relationship with my body because there's constantly messaging around me 
telling me that I'm not worthy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or that I'm not as important or that I'm not as valuable or that my body is not worthy of so many different things. And whether that be, um, I'm not worthy of, of uh, decent health care. I'm not worthy of opportunities. I'm not worthy of being seen. You know, um, I'm not as intelligent. There's so many things that our society, especially American society, um, says about people who live in bodies like mine. Right. And it's mostly, I mean, they're myths, right? Like they, you can't apply one descriptor to a whole body of people. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I would even go so far as to say they're, yes, they're absolutely myths and they're lies, you know? Um, they're lies, they're false. Um, I feel like a myth is something that could be proven or disproven, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But okay. it's just lies because that's not like exactly what you're saying. You know, these descriptors that are put on people based on their bodies um, across the board, um, they're oppressive and they're intentionally oppressive um, and they're false. And I love that we can say that because we're allowed to say it and it's true. So um, I know that a lot of the work that I've seen you do, um, and I'd love you to talk about your organizations and the things that you're a part of, um, have a lot to do with elevating Black voices, elevating Black women, Black femmes. And I also know and I'm still learning a lot about the impact and and the founding essentially of body positive and body liberation movements that were started by black women, black femmes. And um, I would really appreciate you sharing what you know about that and, and what people need to know about that. Yeah. I, I would say the, the basic information that is most important is that Black women and femmes really started um, the, you know, it, it comes under different titles. So body positivity, body, body acceptance, all those things, but really started the body liberation movement. Um, and it started as early as, um, you know, shortly after the emancipation of, um, you know, enslaved Black people in the United States. Um, there were tropes that were created about Black uh, women at the time. Um, And some of those tropes were about the fact that, you know, fat Black women were lazy and unintelligent. Um, You know, there was the uh, trope called the mammy trope, which, um, you know, said that basically black women were here to be subservient. So when you think of like the mammy trope, you think of um, like uh, Aunt Jemima and um, symbols like that, right? Where it's like, oh, to cook, mm-hmm. to clean, um, you know, there's this, this trope of, of this fat black woman who's a cook, a clean, and she's jolly and, and her whole existence is for, um, to basically to serve white people. Um, and these tropes were actually put into print um, in the United States, and they were put out 
um, in newspapers and books and on products and things like that to sort of create this image of fat Black women. And so there were um, fat Black female activists who actually came out and stood against that. And they, you know, were basically saying, look, I'm a woman. I'm, I'm a human. And they were speaking against those tropes. And so that is one of the earliest accounts of, um, you know, women standing up and talking about their rights and um, being respected in fat bodies. And that was from fat Black women. And then when you sort of move forward in history, and this is a very condensed <laughs> um, account, <Right>. but when, <laughs> when you move forward in history, um you know, as as we get into more social rights movements and things like that um, in the 60s and 70s, and then um, moving forward to more modern accounts, even on Instagram, when Instagram became a thing with social media, um, it was fat Black women and femmes who were um, posting pictures of themselves taking up space in their fat Black bodies. And um, in, in plus size fashion and in bathing suits and things like that and doing outfits of the day. And that took off. It became trendy and it became this whole body positivity thing, um, which is what we're most familiar with, right? And so it sort of went through these evolutions of um, fat activism, fat liberation, body, and then it became sort of whitewashed with body positivity because um, thin white women and people who uh, had more thin privilege sort of took over the body positive movement and they began to marginalize the fat black women who started the movement. So, um, you know, when you look up the hashtag, even now on social media, you'll see mostly white bodies, whether it be thin white bodies or even fat white bodies, but very rarely will you see fat black bodies if you look at body positivity because it was really co-opted. And so now there's really this push um, with me and, and other activists who are doing fat liberation, fat activism work to get back to the roots of body liberation, fat liberation, and to say, wait, this is all based in anti-blackness. This is all based in racism because it's all about um, oppressing the Black body um, and um, giving privilege and power to thin white bodies. And so, we, you know, the movement is to get back to that conversation and to center the most marginalized bodies again. Thank you so much for sharing. I mm -hmm. know that that's a lot of information that most people haven't heard. So, um, and this question wasn't on my list, but if you're willing to answer. So back when I saw you speak at the NIDA Regional Conference, mm -hmm. um, I think you mentioned something about along the lines of when white women or thinner white women who are posing with pictures as if they have roles um, and how damaging that can be to the movement. Um, I'm curious because when you said that at the conference, I had an immediate defensive um, feeling. 
because that was the first time anyone had challenged me. I'm in a larger body, but I'm a small fat. So um, that's still something I have to be aware of. And I would love you to kind of mention why that is so damaging and hopefully educate others on things that we can do as smaller fat people or or thin people um, to not be damaging. Yeah, so it's sort of, it's co-opting the movement, right? Um, Because when we're talking about um, fat oppression and um, the oppression of fat bodies, um, or or the oppression of of people based on their bodies, we we always want to be cognizant of the most marginalized. So whenever we have those kind of conversations, we want to think of the most marginalized in that community, and make sure that we are censoring those voices. And and for people who maybe are not familiar with the concept of marginalized and what that means, um, this is. This means identities of people who have been pushed out to the margins, right? So there is a um, a power and privilege structure in our society. And that means that there are people who um, get the most power and the most privilege based on their bodies. And that is based on their body size, that is based on their race, their gender. Um, it's also based on socioeconomic status, um, all of those things, right? So in in we're talking about American society, usually thin white affluent um, males have the most power. Um, I think that is something that we generally understand. Um, and then it's sort of um, if you think of a circle, those thin white affluent males are in the center, holding the most power, and if you kind of move outward from that circle, we're talking about the people who have the um, less power than them. So that would be, um, let's say, thin, white, affluent women, right? So you still have the power of being thin and white and affluent, but your gender, right, sort of minimizes some of your power. And then if you move a little bit further out from the circle, um, you might have thin, white affluent women who are um uh who are maybe not do not have gender um gender normative normative identities right um or who are lgbtqia so because mm-hmm. of that identity they have less power or less access within society so as you continue to move out from the circle there are certain identities that exist further out in the margins and fat black um people um, and even people who are LGBTQIA, people who are disabled, f- are even further outliers when it comes to um, accessing power and privilege. So why it is problematic for people who are thin and have thin privilege to take up space by focusing on sort of like we're talking about creating these roles, you're almost connecting with an oppression or creating an oppression that you really don't have to navigate or carry on a regular basis. So like we were talking about earlier in this conversation, 
how society sees you and how society treats you does matter, right? If you exist in the world in a thin, white, affluent, um, able body, then you get to move throughout this um, society in a very empowered way. And society gives you a certain amount of respect. Whereas if you are a fat, black or brown, disabled, LGBTQIA or queer person, then society is going to deny you power and privilege and access and resources based on your body. So it's very damaging for a person who has power and privilege and access to sort of cosplay, right? Or take on Mm. the identity of an oppressed community when that is not your lived experience on a regular basis. So it's sort of you're cosplaying into this, oh my gosh, I have these roles and since you don't regularly exist in society in a, in, a, in a fat phobic oppression, you don't have that oppression on a regular basis, and it's very disrespectful, and it is oppressive to do that. It, it, and if you think of it, I'm sorry, just to add something Please. else. If you think of how it's inappropriate for um, Caucasian people, white people to do blackface. We sort of all kind of get that concept, right? Or to um, right. to wear a Native American costume. It's the very same thing. If you're in a thin body and you're sort of like, you know, making these rolls come up on your stomach or, or saying, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. I feel fat. But that's not your lived experience. Then you are cosplaying an oppression that doesn't belong to you. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I also just in the first sentence that you mentioned, being pushed out to the margins, mm. marginalized. I don't know why I've never heard that before, but it makes mm. so much sense. Um, and I also pulled up while you were talking because you reminded me when you presented um, at NIDA, you there was a handout that was called fat phobia in action. Um, I don't know if you remember this, um, but I scanned it into my Google drive and it's been there ever since. And I quote these facts and mention you every time I um, quote them, because I believe you were the one who handed, who gave it out or had us read them. But um, I'd love to share some of these facts or if you would like to share some facts about kind of how fat phobia is applied in society and like where all these um, inaccessibilities exist. Sure. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, there's quite a few, but I'll choose a few that might be really surprising to people. Um, So teachers report that they have lower expectations for fat students in comparison to thinner students. That's Greenleaf et al. Um, People in larger bodies are paid less than their thinner counterparts. In fact, workers who are heavier than than average are paid $1.25 less an hour. That's Baum and Ford. People in larger bodies are consistently granted fewer promotions and raises than their thinner counterparts. Baum and Ford again. And the one that always hits me is um, 
90% of emergency rooms are lacking basic equipment like scanners that can accommodate people in larger bodies. So we know that medical fat phobia exists um, and, and all of these facts, if looked at specifically for fat black people would be even, the accessibility would be even lower. Um, so those are some facts that I like to share with people frequently because it just shows that this is a systemic issue. This is not just something we're talking about, although we should be believed. But yeah, we're we're actually talking about people's lives here. Um, mm-hmm. This is not just a popularity thing, or you know, being, although those social right um, social things do matter, but we're literally talking about people's quality of life. And I have been one of those people in 2017, I went to the hospital um, and I was having chest pains at the time. Um, They did admit me and they needed to do a scan. But in the hospital, the machine that they had, my body could not fit in it. And I will be told, use complete candor and say that at the time I weighed maybe 250 pounds. So, which is, and my, my, you know, uh, dress size was like an 18, 20. Um, so this is not even like a, maybe a person who would be considered an infinite fat mm-hmm. or a super fat. And the machine could not fit my body. So they couldn't do the scan. And they told me, well, we'll have to refer you out to a different hospital. So luckily, it wasn't a life-threatening thing for me at the time. Um, But what if I needed that emergency scan, you know, at the time to find out, oh, hey, this is what's going on inside her, you know, her body or her heart or whatever. I wasn't able to have it because the machines didn't didn't accommodate me. Now, when I lived in Atlanta, I went to the hospital before and they had a machine that that you could stand up and it would like um, circle around you. It didn't encase you. So that was more um, uh, size friendly, I would say. But this hospital was older, a little more antiquated, and they weren't able to accommodate me. So things like that really do (laughs) show you how the quality of life and the safety of a person can be impacted by um, this lack of access. I think it's really scary. I'm, I'm a size eighteen twenty right Mm -hmm. now. um, And that's really scary. (laughs) It's really scary. And I think I just say that to underpin and to, elevate you know if you're a lot of people at in this podcast who are just starting to listen are my friends are people who I care about who I know and just think about like someone you know everybody knows someone who will be impacted are already being impacted by this and if you don't already care based on the fact that other people are getting hurt um, just think about your close friends, people that you love. Think think about me. Think about Ivy if you know her. Like, and think about how much, like, that's really scary. That's really scary. Yeah. 
this as I say this the sad thing is because I've been doing this work long enough to know that what sometimes automatically comes to people's mind is that they put the onus on the individual. So if they hear this, mm-hmm. a lot of people will think, well, you shouldn't be that big and then that wouldn't be a problem. Or, you know, if you lost weight, dot, 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 that wouldn't be a problem. But this is exactly the type of thinking that we're talking about in, you know, in this conversation, which is feeling like because a person exists in a certain type of body or or size or gender or race or whatever, that they don't deserve proper care or just access to regular human rights. And this is where power and privilege comes into play because, you know, those people that we're talking about in the center of, of the podium, of the stage, who are, you know, thin, white, affluent, able-bodied people can just walk right into anywhere and get everything they need taken care of. Whether that's the doctors, whether that's um, an airplane or a restaurant, you have seats that fit you, the airplane fits you. When you put on your hospital robe, it fits you, you know, just things Mm -hmm. that you probably don't think about um, that people in other bodies have to deal with. Yeah, I appreciate that point because it's so true. Um. I'd love for you before we get well, I guess we can talk about when you started feeling comfortable kind of sharing your views, sharing your story, becoming an activist in your career. And I'd really love you to talk about whatever organizations you work for or with um, and your businesses, because I want to elevate those things. So as much as you're comfortable. Sure. So for me, my comfort with talking about these things started with writing. Um, writing has always kind of been my go-to. Um, I enjoy writing words or just my thing. I'm a words person, so I'm a logophile. Um, so it started with blogging. Um, and I, you know, created a blog and then I would share from my blog just with people that I knew on Facebook. At the time I wasn't even on Instagram. I think it was like just Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Throwback was really a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So this is how long ago I started this, but um, yeah. So I was blogging and just writing about my lived experiences, my journey, um, and giving people a new perspective of what it meant to um, live in an atypical body. And very much like you just said, you know, inviting friends and family and the people around me to think about, hey, you know me, you love me, you care about me. Here's my story. So if you can just listen to my story and let that shift your perspective about how you see other people like me in the world. And then it just started evolving from there. And when I um, finished school, um, it started involving more um, holistic wellness um, approaches to um, connecting with the body. And then um, in 2013, I started um, with body relationship coaching and really helping people 
connect with their bodies and talking more about that on Instagram. So that's kind of how it evolved. And then um, I created Fat Women of Color, which is a community space um, that started on Instagram. And it's for Black and Brown women of size, um, just creating a space for collective care, resources, support, and just to amplify the stories and experiences of Black and Brown women of size. Beautiful. I know that following your account, following Fat Women of Color is on a daily basis educational for me. Um, And I love that that community exists because I think it needs to. Um, I know you have a lot of things that you're really passionate about. And is there anything that you, while you have the space, would like to share about? Well, anybody who's listening, if you're sort of, um, if this is new information to you or you're considering, you know, moving more towards um, weight neutrality, which is releasing the concept of defining your body or other people's body by their weight. Um, Or if you're struggling with your body image or your connection to your body or how you feel about your body, I definitely invite you to, um, you know, follow me online. Um, You can visit my website, which is ivyfelicia.com. Um, or on Instagram, it's I am Ivy Felicia. Um, and I also have a Patreon community where, um, if you become a member of the Patreon community, um, you know, regularly we have discussions there. I, um, I don't blog anymore, but I do my, um, blogging type work (laughs) there. So I, I write regularly about these types of topics and I also create open discussions about once a month where we just get together and create space to talk about these things because sometimes you just need to talk it out. Um, And if you need deeper support, I do offer coaching as well to people who want to do one-on-one coaching or even group coaching just to help you work through um, those challenges that you may have You know, whether you live in a in a body that's chronically ill, um, whether you live in a larger body or whether you just struggle with your body image in general, um, I offer coaching for all of those things. So you're welcome to reach out for that. Perfect. I highly encourage everybody to follow Ivy's Instagram and social medias. And then if you are called or feel like this is something that you'd like to learn more about to definitely engage with her. Um, The last two questions I have are ones that I'm asking all my guests. Um, The first one is what advice you'd give to your younger self. And this question comes because um, I'm a young person and I want to know and learn from other people's experiences. So what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, I would say it it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, and that is um, other people's opinions don't have to shape the way you see yourself. Um, You get to define what you think about yourself, and that doesn't have to include other people's opinions. Um, Also, something that I say all the time is that 
um, you know, allow yourself to love and be loved exactly as you are. You don't have to change for anyone um, in order to love or in order to be loved. You're already worthy of love. Thank you. I'm taking those words to heart and I hope everybody else does too. And um, my last question, because this podcast is about activism, is about doing tangible things that we can do to make a difference. I'm curious if you have anything that, um, like something that everyone listening to this can do to make a difference to help people who have been marginalized based on body size and race, um, anything that they could do today, tomorrow, next week, in the next year. What do you think? Sure. I have a couple of things that I usually tell people. The first thing is to own your own power and privilege, right? So all of us have some sort of power and privilege. Even as a fat Black person who lives with chronic illness, I have privileges that some other people don't have. Um, So own it. And the power and privilege that you do have, once you own it, use that platform or power or privilege to help others who are more marginalized than you. And I feel like if we do that as a society, we'll be on a roll towards <laughs> um, towards liberation because everybody will just kind of take responsibility for helping someone else. I love that. I, I think that's part of my mission is to, and I love the term owning your power because- mm-hmm. Privilege is not at its core necessarily a bad thing. It's what Mm -hmm. people do with privilege. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, everybody has privilege and I appreciate what you said there. So, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we hang up? Just again, I thank you for having me. I thank you for inviting me into your space and giving me the microphone and um, (laughs) allowing me to share with your community. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well.